Welcome to the Revenue Cafe. The Revenue Cafe podcast is brought to you by Breadcrumbs, the revenue acceleration platform. In each episode, we will bring you interesting conversations on all things sales, marketing, and CX related. The hope is we will help you along the path to revenue acceleration and entertain you along the way. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of our Breadcrumbs podcast. Uh, so happy today today to be joined by Kirk Backer from iCore Technologies. Um, we're going to be talking about all things related to sales, go to market. Uh, obviously, we're going to be talking about uh, COVID as we have in our previous episodes, just talking about the realities there. Uh, iCore Technologies is a pioneer in comprehensive IT outsourcing since 1994. Um, Kirk, anything else you'd like to share about iCore? Uh, that's probably a broad swath. We're sort of a focused on cybersecurity strategy. There's a lot of IT companies. We're kind of on the strategy side. Cool. Yeah. Um, and so if people want to take a look, it's iCore.com. Um, and uh, Kirk is active on LinkedIn. So if you guys look him up on there. Uh, I'm sure he'd be happy to to have a chat. Does that sound fair, Kirk? Absolutely. Awesome. Um, Kirk, just to get things started, similarly to some other conversations, uh, you know, we've been using um, COVID as kind of the jumping off point for these conversations. Obviously, you know, massive uh, force in all of our lives uh, starting last year. Um, you know, from your perspective, you know, both professionally and personally, um, what's some of the biggest challenges uh, you faced due to, you know, the craziness that has been 2020 into 2021? Yeah, I'll start by saying I, I look forward to not talking about this in another six months, but it's a fair topic now. For so, sure. You know, it was very much um, it, the pandemic crept up on our business as it did for that of our clients. Uh, there was a lot of uncertainty at the outset. Um, the impacts to ICOR, which is very closely aligned to our clients, is that a lot of businesses kind of ground to not a halt, but um, any kind of uh, purchases were sort of put on hold. So it had the effect of stalling our pipeline. To be human about that, that's because our clients were, were experiencing stress. A lot of our clients are small to medium businesses in Boston, sure. New York. And that was one of the places that was uh, badly affected. Um, so in a very personal way, uh, we went from having a robust pipeline to just not being sure about how best to even follow up on that, given the uncertainties. Um, it became, it felt almost disrespectful, disrespectful to be really pro prospecting in the way that we were. Sure. Hold back on a lot of the outbound stuff. Um, but then uh, to... More, more positively, and maybe this is another question uh, that you have ahead, is uh, we began to see different types of business come towards us that we could talk about if you want to. Yeah, I would love to hear about that. Yeah. So the initial and kind of obvious thing is that there was a scramble to go from physical offices to a remote workforce. And, you know, we at, at iCore were well positioned already being a tech company. But a lot of our clients weren't fully there. Uh, they were mostly in the cloud, but it's it's different to say you're in the cloud than being able to work elegantly and securely and collaboratively when you're no longer around the water cooler and 
tapping into internal systems and conference rooms. So a lot of our clients scrambled, as did we, to really go fully remote as quickly as possible. Um, and that generated a lot of inbound activity where I think companies all around the country were scrambling for that same kind of thing. So it went sure. from being just the forget about the pipeline for now, that's for later, to just responding very tactically to helping people become successful in a remote work setting. Yeah, that's not a surprise. So for our listeners, they they may have already heard the episode that we did with SD Zimmerman from Acadian Labs. Uh, so they're a unified communications company. Um, and they definitely saw like a, a boon in their business uh, as a result of this kind of shift to, to working from home. Um, on that note, were, were you guys at ICOR already in that mode, did you guys have to make a quick pivot to the working remote? Like, what was the what was the story there? Yeah, I think the culture was primarily because we had most of our business our technical consultants. They were on site at their clients as much as possible. So for them, they had to figure out how to deliver IT services remotely. Um, as far as the kind of the the core admin team, you know, we all had you know good Wi-Fi, good. Um, Inter, you know, interfaces for working remotely. Um, but it, it was a culture shift from being in the office together every day, being able to have those hallway conversations to having to really adapt to video and chat much more so than prior. Yeah, that's been a, a kind of a recurring theme, like the notion of the, the chair swivel conversation, you know, just being able to turn around, have a chat with a colleague, brainstorm something. Um, I think that's something that a lot of folks are missing and you know correct me if you if you see differently but there isn't really there isn't a a really good technology proxy for that right like you know of course you can shoot somebody a quick slack or or some other kind of instant message but it's not the same as as that kind of like spontaneous jam session it's true um i don't miss it as much as some others um because i've i found some efficiencies working more remotely but there's no substitute for having some kind of in-person, face-to-face. Uh, you can't have a proxy for human contact. You can sure. have enabling technology try to do a lot of that work for you, but there's no substitute for that human uh, touch and feel. Feel is probably the wrong way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to be careful with the word feel in, yeah, today, yeah. in today's environment for sure. But um, well, in, in terms of that human connection, um, mm-hmm. to use a different term, how have you guys found, uh, what have you guys found to help kind of maintain some kind of camaraderie or, you know, social connection, relationship maintenance with with the team? So I think that has shifted over time. Initially, we uh, the management team of which I'm a part was meeting daily uh, just for 15 minutes at the beginning of every day. Uh, the broader population, the consultants often being busy with project work, we were very intentional about having um, company-wide um, festivities every month. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think that had a time and place. I think you know the Zoom fatigue, I think, ultimately kicked in, and um, we're, we're looking forward to getting back together. Uh, over time, the management team has scaled from you know quick check-ins uh, daily to twice a week to once a week. And now we're approaching kind of a new normal where we're meeting uh, once a month, but with an agenda. Um, so I, I think, you know, we're, I'm, we're feeling very optimistic about the future. 
Uh, some of us are back in the office already, kind of in a hybrid setting. I, I go mm-hmm. once or twice a week, as does my boss, the CEO. So we're we're slowly transitioning to what we hope will be a better new normal, where people can have the flexibility of working remotely when they need to um, and be more efficient, uh, and also in the office to kind of maintain that and and, and establish and maintain the social con- connections that are best done in person. For sure. So we, we've talked a little bit about like some of the tactical pivoting that you guys did, right? Like mm-hmm. downplaying maybe the outbounding just out of respect for the, the circumstances, especially early on, um, finding a way to react and service inbound inquiries more quickly. Beyond those tactical things, have, have you seen others or has there been like strategic impacts to your business where you're shifted you know, goals, focus, uh, anything at that level? Totally. So I think we've done a decent job making lemonade out of this thing. Um, you know, initially I mentioned on the tactical level, we had to, well, we chose to respond to uh, a, a national need to get folks efficiently, collaboratively, and securely working remotely. Um, that, that definitely provided an opportunity to be more intentional about kind of national footprint. So, I have a couple of sales hires right now. I would have put them in Boston and New York back in the day that the recruiting pool, both on my team, the sales team, and more importantly, the technical team is now anywhere in the US. So it's 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 helped us to sort of recognize that we're not a regional player. We have a mm. certain of expertise that works everywhere. Uh, so we're putting our new hires into different parts of the country, not so much to be in person, but just to cover all the time zones and maybe to a certain extent, the different cultures. Um, So from hiring, that's been the case. Um, Again, at both as salespeople and as technical people trying to have remote delivery. In the case of me and my team, that means finding a different sort of sales process around, you know, incorporating more video, and trying to you know bring things to closure uh, with some you know other types of tactics that used to be you'd march into someone's office and you do your presentation and if it was a good sure. fit, you cans. Um, so it's it's made it more competitive in a good way and it's 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 allowed kind of the the most successful people and for that matter companies thrive um, at, at the expense of some other folks that are not really pivoting or adjusting to this new sure. reality. Awesome. So, so that actually segues really well into one of my next questions, which is kind of like top priorities, objectives for 2021. Would it be fair to infer that this, like, you know, more this greater openness to remote and having a footprint kind of all across the country makes, you know, uh, expansion beyond the region, one of your top priorities, or, or are there some other kind of priorities that have popped up as a result of all these changes? Yeah, I, I think um, we, we saw it with some of the big tech companies at first where uh, this is a roundabout way of saying yes, but, but to be more specific, um, I think it's a competitive advantage, uh, not just against competitors, but as, as a hiring manager uh, to be able to support people that want to A, work from anywhere and, and B, have either a fully remote or a hybrid experience. So I think it's actually made companies that have that mindset more attractive to potential employers. Sure. Um, I, I think as part of that, it's, it, there's been winners and losers. And, you know, we were, uh, we lost a few folks around 
uh, the COVID crisis, it wasn't really about a layoff, but it was about really making clear that some folks that weren't really performing just weren't going to be able to navigate this. So I think mm-hmm. it's it's um it's been a great kind of um it's been terrible, but it's it's allowed cream to rise to the top, and it's made it clearer, faster, where people are not going to be successful. That said, it's made all of us busier. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about some of our shared interests in in AI as enabling technology, which I think is probably my biggest uh, tactical job this year is to bring more of that into our stack. For sure. Yeah. And just for the listeners benefit, uh, you know, Kirk and I had a conversation uh, prior to actually uh, doing this recording and we went down a little bit of a rabbit hole around ML, AI and, and all things related. So I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to get into that. Uh, before we do though, and this might actually bring it up. Um, you know, one of the things I'm interested in, I've been asking kind of all our guests is, predictions for 2021 and, and kind of beyond, yeah. um, you know, big trends, continuing impacts of COVID. Uh, what does returning to normal look like, if at all? Any any kind of thoughts you, you'd like to share? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I, I think on a related topic to what we were just saying, uh, there, there has been sort of a flight from herbs into exurban settings or even the country. So I think enlightened hirers and managers are embracing that. I think it has implications for the distribution of clients. Like we traditionally have been very focused on urban settings such as Boston, New York, Philadelphia, DC. There's just a lot more happening outside of the major metros now. Um, and, And that's where people are going to be increasingly choosing to live. So we have to think about that as a company uh, both from a hiring as well as a sales planning standpoint. Um, so that that's kind of a big thing I'm excited about. My daughter, just before the pandemic, moved to Austin, Texas. So mm-hmm. definitely there was already, that was already happening. I think the, the pandemic has actually accelerated some uh, knowledge workers in uh, these big cities to recognize that they, they can have a good quality of life, not in a one bedroom or studio apartment crammed into San Francisco, Mm-hmm. York, but actually have a nice house in the country or a nice suburb. So that, that actually has implications, I think, for hires and as well as how the businesses are distributed and how we as a tech company support clients that are going to, to my mind, continue to have that work-life balance being a strong um, beneficial influence that makes them a more attractive place to work and to stay and to grow. For sure. I don't know if I would call Austin not a major urban center, uh, but yeah, yeah I, I get the point. I love Austin, by the way. I, I spent two years in Texas and Austin is a, an amazing place, obviously a tech hub, which makes it super appealing to me given my chosen career, but uh, just great food, great music, great people. Uh, I'm sure your daughter will, will love it there. But uh, yeah, this idea of moving further afield is definitely a reality. So I was, uh, on a personal note, I'm I'm looking at buying a, a second property, uh, you know, here in Ontario we call them cottages, a lake house type of thing. Um, and so I, I I attended a virtual cottage life show over the weekend, which cool. uh, yeah, I guess way better in person. I've been to them in person, way better. Uh, but you know, make do with COVID. Um, and honestly, like one of the recurring themes on all of the exhibitions 
and a bunch of the vendors on like the virtual kind of exhibition floor were all related to like rural connectivity. Hmm. Right. Cause like people are, they're, they're definitely interested. They're like, okay, I've, I've been working from home for a year. Why don't I do this by the lake? Right. Hmm. And that's cool. Well, you need, you need internet. Right. Um, and unlike, uh, I don't know what the situation is like in the U S actually in terms of like rural connectivity, but in Canada, it's not the best. Hmm. Um, so, you know, lots of talks about like satellite internet and these low earth orbit satellites. And, um, anyway, so I think that's going to be an interesting kind of area to be in, in the next little while, there's going to be a boom in demand for alternative, you know, high speed connectivity, I think. I think you're right. There's already one of the initiatives. It's not relevant to where you live, but some of the coastal areas is putting sinking shipping containers with data centers in them, like near. Yeah, I know. Huh? Really? <laughs> yeah, having so. Yeah, there's a lot of that stuff going on to kind of create more pipe where where it isn't always available other places, other ways. Well, and and it's an awesome idea because like I again I may be wrong here, but I think one of the largest costs for data center server farms is cooling. Yeah. Right. So like if it's in a container at the bottom of the ocean, um, you just like massively change the economics of, of a data center. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So what about, what about machine learning AI? What what about it? Do you want to want to chat about it? And, and do you see it having an even greater role in the conversation as a result of what we've gone through the last year? I'd say we're early, but I, I I think it's the whole characterization of AI versus machine learning is quite interesting because I, I think, as I understand it, that definition shifts. The better AI gets, the more you kind of demote some of the other stuff to ML. But a lot of there's a lot of companies out there promoting their AI technology. And we even as as early as two years ago, we uh, signed up with an outsourced lead generation company that claim to use AI to have sales conversations. So it, it's all email stuff. You define your ideal customer profile, your buyer persona. Um, it then intelligently collects contacts from the internet. doesn't buy a database. It just pulls things from all different sources. Um, and it begins to, you, you give it some basic messaging, but then this technology, and, or if it's really technology and not people, actually can have an approximate email conversation with with a prospect and try to identify where they are in their journey and then when they're ready to have actually a, a live conversation pop it out for us to engage directly so i've been using that for almost two years now and it's worked pretty well mm. it's it's probably more machine learning than ai but it's, it's certainly they're taking credit for ai yeah so where do you make the distinction because i i have my kind of distinction what's yours so ML is a subset of artificial intelligence, according to the people that know this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I've been trying to read up on this. Uh, I think it's such a blurry line, but I'm, I want to hear your definition. Yeah, I, I really think AI is more about the actions being taken. Mm-hmm. So it's the ability for autonomous decision-making, reaction, and like the actual doing of things, mm-hmm. whereas machine learning is the is the process that leads to that eventual capability, right? It's 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 the intelligence building element of it, and you can have machine learning capabilities 
that then are acted on by humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but AI really needs to be autonomous. Is it, and that's kind of my distinction between the two. And where I think a lot of, you know, a lot of tech companies that are out there that are talking about AI are are um, are jumping the gun a little bit in terms of what they actually are, are delivering. I would agree. And actually, um, because I receive a lot of outreach from folks that want to sell me their sales technology, um, I do get a lot of really inept attempts at what claim to be AI. And one Mm -hmm. of the things I find quite frustrating, like until AI can give you a dope slap, like you, the salesperson, it's not AI yet. Like Mm -hmm. uh, I took a meeting this morning that was quite interesting to me as a topic. It was about AI generated um, contact information rather than buying a list, this kind of idea where you can just sort of unleash the robots to collect it for you. Mm -hmm. But then the guy sent me um, all these reminders and I got a reminder on Saturday, which I don't want to get, emails from salespeople on Saturday. I don't know about you. No, so yeah. That was a real kind of fail. And if if either the rep or the AI could have stepped in and say, hey, baby, don't send Kirk an email Saturday morning, that would be the definition of autonomous <laughs> or mm. maybe responsible behavior. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, like at, at Breadcrumbs, we're, we're definitely super interested in the world of machine learning and art, uh, artificial intelligence. And uh, we're actually working on a feature um, that will help our customers build better lead scoring models faster and optimize them more efficiently over time. But it's, it's purely machine learning, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, there, there's a, a bunch of machine learning models running in the background. They're all related to each other. They crunch data, they come up with some, you know, predictions. And then we surface that as a recommendation to our user. Mm-hmm. Ultimately the user needs to make decisions, right? Yeah. Like, Yes, that makes sense that, you know, what we've learned from previous behavior and what you think is going to happen moving forward is aligned with what our expectation and our strategy is and so on and so forth. That is not AI, right? Uh, but I've talked to a million marketers that are like, yeah, you should package that as, as AI. Um, and I think it's a huge, I, I think it's a huge disservice, um, especially since like, I don't think artificial intelligence, that like the true idea of AI um, has a role in every part of what we do in business. Like, I think ultimately, um, humans until the technology is much better and it may get there and it's kind of scary to think about. Um, but for now, I think a lot of places, humans are actually better suited to, to do certain things, right? Um, like have conversations with prospects. (laughs) Um, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? I agree. I guess I'm more forgiving about uh, the boundaries, uh, and I, I get. I take your point. Um, there, there is so much messaging around AI-enabled solutions, and maybe they get away with it by saying "enabled." It's a bit of a stretch, but mm-hmm. it doesn't. I mean, the way they're fan, you're probably more of an expert than I am, Gary. Um, so I, I don't mind. You know, if the positioning is maybe a stretch, I think transparency is key. One of the one of the I do, I do some mentoring on the side and one of the companies I'm mentoring has what they call transparent AI. So they're not just, it's not just a black box. It actually will give you uh, on each different decision it makes a confidence score. And then you can click into the rationale why it gives you that score. So I think as long as transparency exists and someone doesn't make a, 
a bold claim and then not back it up. I, it doesn't bother me the same way it may bother you to maybe stretch the point a bit. Yeah, listen, I, I think that's a great idea. I think, you know, some transparency around ML, AI in general is is needed. Like buyers need to be a little bit more educated about what this means, because I think in some cases they are buying snake oil. Um, I don't know if I'm like an expert. I'm just an enthusiast, right? I, like I'm, I, I understand that this is the way technology is going. I understand it needs to be a part of my product. I actually like, you know, think it's super relevant specifically to what breadcrumbs is doing. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do think it's grossly misunderstood. And I think as marketers, we have a responsibility to not only sell, but to educate. Um, and, you know, like, I, like I, I read an article, I don't know, this is probably sometime last year. Um, there's, uh, and I might get a bunch of this wrong, so please no one hold this against me, but, uh, Mount Sinai is a big hospital here in Toronto there. They specialize in like liver related disease and they do a ton of research. Um, and they were doing some experimentation with machine learning and, and AI, um, where like the, the, the AI was consuming a ton of historical health information hmm. um, from a bunch of patients. And this thing was able to like diagnose future disease. Like they were, they, hmm. this was a longitudinal study. Like they tracked, they tracked this for over a long period of time. And somehow the AI was able to diagnose disease like a year or two years before any doctor would have ever kind of realized what was happening there. And the interesting thing in that article was that nobody understood how, mm. right? So this idea of transparency, like the, the AI was getting so smart, whatever, wh however it was computing these likelihoods, even the person that created the AI couldn't explain how the AI was coming to that conclusion. Um, and that, so that, there, I bring that up for two reasons. One, that's actually AI, mm -hmm. right? Like that thing is learning and growing and, and, and able to do things without the intervention of a person, which is, a, amazing secondarily it reinforces my earlier point about like kind of scary yeah right like how is this thing figuring this out and 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 we can't even like we can't reverse engineer the logic to figure out how it did it right um it, it, it's kind of a little not just frightening but sad right because like understanding the how is how we make other things better yeah, it kind of reminds me, you probably have seen The Social Dilemma. It reminds me of some mm -hmm. of the challenges that those bright-eyed and bushy-tailed engineers made to develop algorithms, you know, years and years ago they, they thought would be useful to society, but they kind of lost track of them, and mm -hmm. uh, they were more effective than they could have wished or hoped, but they've taken a life of their own on and had some very negative implications. I think there's a whole sec sub specialty around AI, which I think is probably the most important one if you're talking true AI, which is the ethics of AI. How do you how do you manage the problem you're describing? It's one thing for a marketer or a salesperson to over-represent capability. It's quite a different thing for the robots to take that much agency without any kind of checks, balances, or even understanding of why they're making these decisions. Oh, for sure. And I, I'm sure you've been following them. Like, you know, Google has like ethics teams mm -hmm. and Facebook has ethics teams and a bunch of the people on those teams have spoken up and they've, you know, been let go. And there's questions as to the motivation as to why they've been let go. Super complicated 
arena and definitely one that requires our attention and probably outside of private enterprise. Like I think that the impacts of this technology and how, you know, social dilemma, you know, however you choose to interpret that, that documentary definitely highlighted some areas of concern. Right. Um, So, you know, beyond private enterprise, there's probably a role for some kind of body to be spending some time thinking about about that but on a less kind of like uh big brother uh angle how how do you see ml and ai playing into what you're doing today from a sales or go-to-market perspective and and like what are your predictions over like the next couple of years in terms of of what what role it's going to play well you've done a good job talking me out of wanting AI in my life. So we could talk (laughs) stick with ML. (laughs) Um, I've given you one example, which is this automated sales outreach, which kind of works kind of scary. It's Mm -hmm. it's a black box. I don't get how it works, but it seems to Um, this. I won't call it vendor names, but another technology, which is very interesting to me is real time harvesting of good information. Um, so if you have hunter salespeople, which I, which I will be having those again, uh, adding to my team, uh, you know, in the old days you might purchase, you know, zoom info or in the old, old days discover before zoom info crushed them. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a very highly expensive product and it is only as good as it is on any given day. Now to give them credit, they're constantly with real people trying to ver- verify update and with some technology sure. to verify update. But what interests me now is there's, there's vendors out there now that will do that harvesting, kind of tying together the social profiles of, of Navigator, you know, LinkedIn mm-hmm. with a lot of verifiable sources, you know, public information, websites, the, you know, about us section, uh, giving you a real time, this is where this person works right now. And here is his or her cell phone right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that that to me, it was proof to me because I got a call on my cell phone. <laughs> so um, I don't give my cell phone out to anybody except for people like you. But um, mm-hmm. no, it, I don't know how. My, I mean, I'm guessing at some point I fill out a form somewhere with my cell phone on it, which I try not to do. Right. So yeah. that, that is interesting to me. Um, I think you have to really, to your point about the human side, make sure you understand who you're reaching out to and why don't just let the robots do it. But I think sure, this yeah. is enabling technology. And I think this makes salespeople more efficient. So for me, it might be a decision of, do I want, you know, two really solid seasoned people? They could be young or old, mm-hmm. but I'm really like expert or do I want to have a, a SDR type function. So this is not good news for SDRs, I would think, you know, this right, kind right. Of technology may actually make that a more challenging space to be in. Yeah, just a quick tangent on that uh, before I dig in a little bit. The uh, the cell phone thing, I find yeah. it super interesting, right? Because, you know, Breadcrumbs is a relatively small company. We're at, you know, about 14 employees right now. Um, so I, I, I and my co-founders wear lots of hats. And, and one of the hats I'm wearing is kind of like a sales CRO type of role. And we've been having a lot of conversation about text messages, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I don't know about you, but you seem to guard yourself number pretty tightly. Uh, I don't. And I, I get a ton of outreach from salespeople via text. Hmm. And, you know, we hired our first salesperson and we're having a conversation about using text as a channel. 
and I, I don't know if it's because I'm old school or or I just like the idea of kind of having some lines between personal and professional. Um, I, I don't want to be reached out to via text, right? I, I please send me an email, right, or book a meeting, or uh, ask me to call me. Um, how, how do you feel about that? Do you guys do you guys use text as a channel? Is it like permission based? Like what what's the deal there? I'm old school too. Uh, that that's just a no no for me. I didn't mind it. Now, part of the reason I didn't mind it was um, I was looking for a new data solution. Also, I we use Microsoft Teams, and that rings on my cell phone. So I didn't even notice that it was a cell phone call right away. Right, yeah, yeah. So I didn't ever have to be offended by it. I just got to skip right to being oppressed by it. But right. I don't want text. No, don't don't, don't text me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and my, my team, my reps won't be doing that either unless it's permission. Back to your point. If, yeah. if you can get someone to give up that, just like with email back in the day, let, sure. people, let people make that decision for themselves. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, like, there's been a couple of, you know, vendor situations when I was at Hootsuite or previous companies. Uh, big purchase, lots of people involved, lots of, like, communication required. Yeah, certainly. Here's my phone number. Like, call me, text me, let's make this happen type of thing. Um, but very much, like, selectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I I don't know. I hope I win this battle because I definitely don't think tech should become a pervasive sales channel, but who knows? Um, yeah, cool. So the 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 tool, the the one that you've been alluding to, are you sure you don't want to share what it is? Because it sounds pretty. Oh, uh, I, I don't mind. I mean, it's it's a seamless.ai. Okay, yeah, I've heard of them. Claiming yeah, yeah. about the AI thing when they're not. Yeah, um, yeah but it plays well with HubSpot CRM. So I'm, I'm going to give it a check. I'm going to check it out. Um, yeah. The demo that I saw today was quite impressive. Um, I, I, I made it try to pull up people I knew in my own life. I'm not going to call them out. Sure, um, yeah, yeah. Need recent transitions in their jobs. And yeah, yeah it was quite accurate. Uh, oh, so wow. stuff under the hood there, I think. Yeah, cool. That's exactly like, I, I'm sure our listeners would, you know, love to check it out as well. It, it, this is This is all about sharing interesting thoughts, insights, and, and, and ways to make everybody better. So appreciate that, Kirk. Sure. Um, yeah. So the, just to loop back and, and kind of put a bow around the MLAI thing a little bit. So, you know, the, the stuff that we're working on at Breadcrumbs, uh, just to kind of recap the idea there, uh, lead scoring historically, primarily manual, the evolution of that space has led to, you know, predictive lead scoring, which is, is this black box approach right where you know marketers salespeople don't tend to trust it um so we know that manual lots of work hard to accomplish it involves a a certain level of commitment and it's a you know certain degree of art and science with the machine learning component we what we want to do is like absorb all of your historical data and basically surface what we think would be a good model eliminating a lot of that back and forth, right? The horse trading between marketing and sales, doing the analysis. But ultimately, the user is making that decision. Yeah, job title is important indicator of of ideal customer profile. Or yeah, if they visit the pricing page, that's a really good sign that they're interested in buying. Ultimately, that user is making that decision. And one of the reasons why we think that that's important uh, I don't know if we talked about temporal realities the first time we spoke, but we have this concept called temporal realities, which COVID is one of them, right? Like something happens that's not in the strategic plan. It's not reflected in your historical data. And you as a business 
need to react. And it's either like a external thing like COVID or it's an internal decision. Like last, last quarter, um, we really wanted to sell to financial services. Uh, it doesn't look like that's working so well. So this quarter we're going to pivot and we're going to focus on health, healthcare or, or whatever it may be. Those are things that models have a hard time reacting to unless you have a team of data science people hmm. kind of tweaking the model to take that into consideration. So that to me is like what we're trying to accomplish is machine learning. There's no, the tool's not making any decisions for you other than giving you information on which you make decisions. Mm -hmm. Do you think I should market that as AI? Wow. Um, obviously you would not be comfortable with that, Gary. Um, I, I love the idea. I love that you're being transparent about it. I can see how this would be useful. I've been with multiple companies that wrangled over lead scoring. Um, again, I think it's a lot more art than science. And when you have a bunch of stakeholders in the room, the definition of what the value of visiting a page is can be different. <laughs> so sure, I, yeah. I think it, it makes it more objective. I, as long as it's transparent, as long as not only a, you can sort of tweak it, tune it, override it, but also it'd be nice to have, see, see why it came to those conclusions. Is that part of your solution? Does it tell you the why? So we can surface that. Um, and it's an interesting thing that you bring up because what we found is that the interest in knowing the why is very much driven by the persona of the person, hmm. right? So, so our research has shown that a lot of these like pure predictive black box approaches, and I won't name the competitors, but, um, you know, the marketing and sales folks have a level of distrust because they don't know how it works or why they're getting the lead uh, or like the model, you know, surface some things that surface some leads that aren't, um, you know, obviously uh, don't make obvious sense. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and um, with those personas, just being involved in decision-making massively increases their trust hmm. right yeah whereas like the understanding why the recommendation or why the thing that we're surfacing from the machine learning model perspective that's really a much more technical person that hmm. tends to care right so it's it's the director of uh, of uh it or the director of uh data science or data science team or an analyst those people have a keen interest in understanding you know, what's driving the recommendation in the first place. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely something we can do. Um, but we haven't, we haven't thought about it because right now, primarily we're interested in having conversations with folks like yourself, right? Sales mm -hmm. folks, ops folks, uh, uh, marketing folks. Um, those are the people that seem to have the most keen interest in an operational lead scoring model. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? It does make sense. And maybe it's my inner geek that wants to also know, um, I, I, well, I'm, one of those, I'm one of those people. I want to yeah. know, right? Yeah. Like I yeah. want to know, but it, I, I think we are a little bit outliers. Maybe. Yeah. I, I, I did a fun thing. This uh, company I'm consulting, like volunteering with, um, they have this transparent uh, AI with ML. They'll call it ML. I uploaded my sales, my 2020 sales results in there, wins and losses um, as training data. 
and then I uploaded my forecast as, and I said, okay, okay, ML, go figure out which ones are going to close. Mm-hmm. And um, it's too early to know how correct it is, but it gave mm-hmm. me probabilities that to me were, to me were kind of, um, I tend to be optimistic. Like it, it gave something a 42% confidence I thought was all but a gimme. <laughs> so right, let's right, right. talk in three months and see if it really works. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that, no, it's um, so we've been playing a lot with 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 stuff like that. And although the machine learning capability is not uh, surfaced in our platform yet, so right now it's it's manual, mm-hmm. um, and we're helping a lot of our customers through the kind of model design and model optimization process. Like it's my experience, and uh, Mike McFarland, who's on our team, is also an expert in this space. Uh, we're helping we're helping customers out. We are running customer data through some of our models in the back end, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're not exposed in the, in the UI, but they're there. Um, and that's helping us kind of speed up our time to implementation. Um, and, and it's funny when we, cause we'll, what we'll tend to do, Mike and I is we'll like, we'll talk about it. We'll do kind of a manual, the old school manual analysis. Um, and that leads to like a certain model makeup mm-hmm. and then we'll run it. We'll run the same data through the models and there's always a difference, hmm. right? There's always a difference. And and it's a little too early for us to tell either, but I'm very interested to know, uh, a good thing about breadcrumbs is we can run models in A-B scenarios, like hmm. we can run them in parallel to test. Um, I'm interested to know if the ML is actually outsmarting us. Like if they're hmm. seeing something in the data that like through our manual analysis we're just missing or whether there's intuition in how Mike and I approach the data that ML just can't replicate. Um, and I don't know if it's going to be a perfect relationship. I, I'm guessing that like sometimes the machine learning is going to be right. And sometimes we're going to be right, but I, I am, I'm definitely interested to see the outcome of that. Yeah. You're, pr- you're at the point now when maybe the early chess technology could still lose to a master, but ultimately Ken Jennings got booted off of um, Jeopardy by right, um, right. So when that happens, you may need to find a new job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. They should just make Watson the host of of Jeopardy. I hear there's a whole bunch of uh, Jeopardy host uh, drama right now. Yeah, they're going for drama. Have you heard about this? I don't know. I, I know I don't I don't watch a lot of TV, but I I, I consume information from news and stuff. I did hear about this, but it doesn't. Yeah. It's it's, I, it's a sideshow, yeah. I, yeah, it is a side. I forget who the host is that everybody was up in arms about, but yeah, people are very passionate about their uh, Jeopardy hosts. And uh, listen, Alex Trebek's a good old Canadian boy, so I have some you know some uh, loyalty to Jeopardy. Uh, made that guy a great career, but anyways, um, Kirk, this has been a on that random digression. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time. Um, any last kind of thoughts, comments, uh, things you'd like to share with the audience before we, we go? No, I'm curious to see, you know, as you make your progress with breadcrumbs. I think it's the kind of thing that could potentially help break down the silos between sales and marketing, as well as taking away some of the grunt work. So I'm excited to see your progress. Please keep me informed. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. We'll definitely, we'll definitely keep in touch. Cool. Well, everybody, that's that's another episode of our podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it as always. Again, uh, Kirk is from iCore Technologies. You can check them out at iCore.com, correct, Kirk? That's right, yeah. 
Awesome. And then obviously feel free to look him up on LinkedIn and have a chat about IT outsourcing, consulting, or machine learning AI geek talk. Uh, totally up to you guys. Uh, thanks again, Kirk, and thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to the full episode. Make sure you subscribe to social media links below. For more detailed info about what we do, take a look at breadcrumbs.io.